Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, December 29th, 2022. I'm John Bothorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine, asking you, almost for the final time this year, got one more day, so I'll ask you one more day, but uh, to uh, make commentary part of your end-of-year annual giving, commentary not-for-profit, 501c3, uh, that requires, it needs the help, the uh, charitable generosity of our readers, our listeners, and our longtime donors to keep the lights on and keep doing what we're doing every day here at the podcast, every day on the website, and monthly in the magazine to supply you with the conversations and the authoritative articles and the um, you know efforts to fight anti-Semitism, to support Israel, to support uh, the West, and to support the United States uh, as best we can please give and give generously by going to www.commentary.org slash donate. That's www.commentary.org slash donate. With me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media Commentary Columnist and American Enterprise Institute Fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor and Author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, so we uh, this week have been uh, trying to provide you with a little uh, lighter and more fun content. I don't know if this is going to be lighter and more fun because we did movies, we did books, we did TV. And uh, and and I wanted to do podcasts, but it turns out that I'm the only person among the four of us who really listens to podcasts a lot, which I do because I take a lot of mass transit and I walk, do- I walk a dog all the time. So I'm listening to various podcasts. Uh, so uh, we decided that we were we we're going to do something a little heavier, but also a little more cheerful than usual, at least for our crushing morose brand, uh, and try to talk about good things that happened in 2022. Although because of our crushing morosity, some of the good things that happened are really bad things uh, that have been met with uh, with good responses. So it's not exactly like saying oh man, what's going on in the war in Ukraine is really great. Like the war in Ukraine is a is a, is a a colossal a monstrosity and a terrible tragedy. But no, Rothman, it has had certain effects that are heartening. Yeah, I'm not calling this good things that happened in 2022. There are silver linings in 2022, the bright side of otherwise irredeemable miseries that we've been confronted with this year. One of them being... War on the continent of Europe. Yeah, that sounds awful. And it is pretty darn awful. But I've been studying this for a long time. Uh, Got a couple of degrees in security policy in Eastern Europe. And my expectation, and I suspect the expectation in the Kremlin, was that the edifice of the West was a rotten facade. That all you needed to do was kick in the door and the whole thing would come tumbling down. And Moscow has been behaving as though its primary objective is to fracture the NATO alliance. And it was doing so by gradually eroding support for the frontier, for the periphery, um, by occasionally making incursions into Estonia, NATO ally. And NATO member. NATO member, NATO ally. And that they would eventually uh, cause such a crisis that it would confront the political class in London and Paris and Berlin and Washington with a don't die for Danzig scenario. Do you really want to risk a thermonuclear exchange over Tallinn? And that's what I anticipated would happen. And I, a lot of us expected that the Ukrainian resistance would not materialize 
that the Ukrainian military would not be able to fend off this attack, that it would be subsumed into the Russian uh, sphere, if not into the Federation directly, really quickly. And Europe's resolve would fall, would not materialize. And that is exactly not what we saw. We saw the precise opposite. The amount of resolve to resist, sustained will to resist, backed by political support across the NATO alliance, making it stronger, expanding it. We're likely to see the expansion of NATO, uh, not for the first time in years. Uh, we expanded over the Trump administration, but it expanded into small states. Um, once Turkey gets over whatever it is that it's frustrated with and Hungary gets whatever concessions that it needs, Finland and Sweden are going to ascend to NATO membership. Um, the alliance will be stronger, um, will have more resolve. European countries will be contributing more to their collective defense spending, easing the burden on the United States. Um, these are a lot of things that people who watch this part of the world have wanted to see happen for a very long time. Um, it's unfortunate, although it's a truism, that defense spending, uh, that the deterioration of the security environment begets dis defense spending and not the other way around, which is this weird fantasy that both the populist right and the, the isolationist left uh, are, are beholden to. But all in all, um, from the Western perspective, while this is an absolute nightmare for Ukrainians and Europeans, Europeans who are struggling right now in the depths of this winter, uh, there are some good things to be said for what we've seen, a cohesive, united Western Europe and Western, um, Western world that has confidence in itself, that is engaged in its own security, and that is creating a more secure future on the continent. I think that's a good thing. At least it's something that you can say, well, this hasn't been completely disastrous for everybody. Let me let me propose this as a as a, as a way of, of 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 looking at it. So we spent 20 years, at least we in the West, not 20 years, maybe maybe 10 years and then another um, trying to reckon with Putin and essentially pre uh, appeasing him. Uh and, you know, Bush looked into his heart and saw good there. Hillary brought the reset button. Uh, you know, Trump said, I like him. Uh, you know, all that stuff. Merkel basically made her relations with Russia the linchpin of her own weird foreign pot. And she was the most important leader in Europe. Uh, and then all this happened and Putin invaded Ukraine and it's I, World War II analogies are bad, but there was all this effort essentially to say we can take this guy and knit him into the international order. And he saw no reason to do that except to take goods that goodies that he wanted from the international order, like various pipelines and things like that. And then he did this thing, and there was no more appeasement left in anybody. That, I think, was the startling fact. That's where you could sort of maybe say it's like the invasion of Poland or something like that. But they had no, they had no more, they had nothing else to take out of the, you know, to take out of, uh, to pull off the shelf to say, no, don't do this, or pull back. Uh, so... In that sense, it turns out there was a lot more life in the West than we realized. But the West is partially responsible for the fact that Putin felt 
free to go into Ukraine. And then we have this question. It's almost, again, like bin Laden in America, which is uh, Putin thought that we were done and that he could do this with impunity, just as bin Laden thought that we were done and that he could do what he was going to do with impunity and that he was the strong horse and we were the weak horse. And it turned out there was more life in us than than he realized, and it turned out there was more life to NATO and to the West than Putin realized. And for those of us who follow these things so granularly, it's also an interesting lesson because, again, we assume that the conversations that we're having among really serious, committed people who who look at this for a living, you know, and sort of do it, do it like that, that uh, that our increasing pessimism about things and all of that sort of reflects general public opinion, whereas it really could be just the elites talking to each other, and that there was never a moment at which this idea that the West was fading as a idea and a concept was ever put before voting publics uh, in a referendum to go up or down. It's only when the crises happen. <clears throat> that the public is then sort of brought into a moment and to say, what what are what are we going to do here? And time and again, the public, American public, surprises us. Did we know that two two horrible, monstrous beheadings of two people in 2013 were going to decisively turn the American public back to the idea that we needed to be involved in the Middle East militarily to destroy ISIS? Two. Polls flipped. 32% of Americans supported continuing American military presence in the Middle East. Then, then the beheadings took place, and that number jumped to 64%. Two beheadings. Americans were not really being asked to invest or to or to be part of a, a larger effort to do something because of the threat the threat was made real and they changed their minds uh let's let's move on here just to talk about ukraine the war the war in ukraine in general because not only did it ignite you know reignite nato as a as a going concern but it 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 is just existentially a heartening thing to see Goliath, you know, to see to see Goliath uh, uh, bested by David, or you know, on the on the verge of being bested by, or on the way David on the way to besting Goliath. It's you know, it's an elemental world, you know, story, and it's happening in real time in front of us. Uh, let's take a break and hear from our friends at Fire. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights, Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. So we talked about Ukraine and NATO. Does the disappointing November result for, you know, conservatives who wanted to see a wave for all sorts of reasons, including reckoning against COVID, um, Biden's insane spending, the horrible inflationary uh, 
protracted inflation that he was in part responsible for with the, you know, with the Democrats going the way they're going. Uh, So there's a lot of disappointment there, but let's talk the silver lining. I love that we're back on brand, the crushing morosity. (laughs) So silver lining, Christine, what's the silver lining of the November elections? Uh, I, I think it was the American people rejecting the crazy people saying, look, if you're going to deny uh, that Trump lost the last election, if you're going to hitch your wagon to to kind of the most extreme version of what conservatism has become in the Republican Party, we're going to reject you. In fact, not just reject you, we'll vote for the other party's candidate. And if you are a suburban voter or a sort of middle of the road, independent minded voter, that was a very loud and clear message. So even in the face of, you know, pocketbook issues, kitchen table issues, all the stuff that we were talking about and assuming would lead to more of a red wave that we got that wrong. And it, but it is a good thing that we got that wrong because the longer term health of our political system depends on voters making that kind of message clear. Now, will the will the Republican Party hear it? Will they will they learn from their mistake? Uh, yeah, that's not clear. I mean, we have a, a 2024 will determine um, the answer to that question. But it actually even though it was bad for the Republican Party, it was good for the country to have that sort of uh, rejection of of extremism. Uh, rejection of uh, Trumpism, I, I, it's as we've said many times, it poses a danger to Democrats and certainly to the Biden administration who thinks he was given some sort of new referendum to continue down the path he was headed. They don't like what he's doing either. And a kind of we don't like Trump, we don't like Biden, like somebody step up and give us a different vision of our politics. Uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The, the, the quiet center spoke loudly in the last election. It's a very good thing for Republicans that they don't have to commit to translating Herschel Walker into English. They don't have to do that. They don't have to rationalize or defenses. Explaining for all his baby mamas. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's also, yeah. in addition to the overarching story about rejecting the crazies, um, there's been this incredible, and I think it's also a heartening thing, um, string of personal losses for Donald Trump um, that I did not expect, you know, uh, in part because often the way uh, his enemies go after him uh, seems to sort of set him up for some sort of at least partial victory or give him some wiggle room um, at the end. But really, from everything from uh, his Mar-a-Lago documents uh, to his uh, New York legal cases uh, to the 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 press and and the response of of various leadership, including Jewish leadership, that he's gotten in response to uh, his uh, his his dining with Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, um, he is he is on an extraordinary losing streak. What he can't lose? What are you talking about? Right, there's no such thing. I mean, I I think by the way, again, what I said in the last segment about uh, the American people not being brought in to a lot of this decision-making and then startlingly showing uh, more sophistication uh, and more understanding of the nuances of of issues than people give them credit for. Uh, Noah constantly uses the term surgical strike to describe this election. We could even use it to describe the 2020 election, which had some of the same qualities of the, the electorate doing very interesting and unexpected things at the, at the, state and local levels uh and what the republican party generally no did not know was what kind of strength and power trump was going to have with the overall 
electorate and given the givens and everything that they knew about him and what kind of threat he posed to them if they opposed him and all of that they took the path of least resistance yeah you want herschel walker we'll give you herschel walker you want this we'll give you that you want to out you want uh uh, you know, I, we're not going to fight you either the leadership or, or the electorate or whatever, the primary electorate. Uh, and then the results came in and now there's actually real world consequences to listening to Donald Trump. Like you don't get your Senate majority and you have an incredibly disappointing house result. And that's all from almost all of it because of the atmosphere and the fundamentals and everything have to be, has to be attributable to Trump's game and role in this election. And now Republicans have a real world issue to say when he calls and says, we should really have so-and-so run for office to say, why don't you and your idiot cocaine addled son who shoots larger, why don't you both go play some golf? I was going to say, okay, or steal some documents <laughs> or do something, whatever, you know, like go away before you give us any more help. Um, and, you know, th that would have been too scary before, and it may be too scary not to do now. So that's, a, I think, a pretty uh, interesting uh, political moment. So let's move on from that. Abe, you want to talk about uh, more heartening signs outside the borders of the United States, things that are going on that, again, I don't think that we ever had any reason to expect would, would happen that came out of nowhere. Sure. Um, and uh, I have in mind particularly the movements against autocratic and theocratic regimes, namely um, by by their citizens, namely in China uh, and Iran, respectively. Um, as we've seen, there there's been upheaval in all sorts of populations governed by all sorts of institutions globally over the past few years, certainly ramped up during the pandemic and the populist age. Um, but um, these finally came around to uh, uh, the worst regimes, and that has been extraordinarily heartening. Um, we see, of course, in 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 China, millions of protests. Um, I mean, seas of people protesting COVID uh, uh, measures that are um, uh, the most inhumane on the planet. Um, that has been great to put a spotlight on the regime. Um, and it's human rights abuses. There is no question anymore uh, in, in you know, the, 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 the most sort of um, China appeasement friendly minds about what that regime is up to. Um, of course, as we've said before, uh, Beijing has the capacity to crack down on, on protests um, in all sorts of scary high tech ways. Uh, and make people pay. But nevertheless, the fight has been joined, and that is always a good thing, um, which is, you know, kind of kind of a theme here uh, about about the silver linings, you know, um, that uh, we're we're not talking about out and out victories here. we're 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 talking about um, things horror shows that are that are that are not yet settled disasters and show and and where resistance is showing signs of life. Um, and in, in Iran, it's even better news, I would say, um, uh, because um, the 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 protests sweeping the entire country are ongoing and going on for months and months um, in response to the, the Iranian morality police killing uh, an innocent Kurdish woman, 
uh, in their custody. Um, the this this has um, rocked the the the, the mullahs. Um, they are very much on the back foot. Uh, it 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 added. I don't think it was the the thing that sunk uh, the the continuing effort of the Biden administration to seek out a new JCPOA uh, nuclear deal with Iran, but the international pressure, then the American pressure, uh, just just of those who are watching what's what's been going on in Iran, um, certainly added to um, the Biden the Biden administration's inability to make any a good moral argument about trying to rehabilitate in in any way and consider um as reliable partners uh, the regime in Tehran which is by the way that's also a good thing uh, that's a sort of additional good thing that we're done trying to get into a nuclear deal uh with Iran and I don't want to sound like a you know like a Hallmark movie but there but there is if you're conservative a, a tendency to be sort of deeply and i think appropriately cynical about the but the potential depravity of of our of human nature but this is an example where there's we, we are reminded of the human spirit too the fact that even though there are people who want to crush others enough people raising their voices and fighting back and yearning for a kind of freedom that they know is possible and which i think this country still remains a beacon of and for that happens and and there there are many ways in which i think particularly in iran the the youth uh, of the, of so many of the victims of this regime it's young people who are saying no no more no more and they are risking they're risking their lives to just just to say that and not to have to cover up their hair and to be able to go to school if they're women in afghanistan i mean this is actually something and again we we lack a leader in in our politics right now, who articulates that really well. We used to have people like that in our politics on both sides of the aisle, I'll add. We haven't had someone like that for a very long time. And there is, again, an opportunity for that kind of leadership on the global stage that speaks not just to our foreign policy, you know, uh, horse trading, but to the human spirit and to the kind of values that we should be nourishing in in across the globe. Okay, okay I think rant over. Move. Great, no, beautiful rant. Um, Let's move on to something that is unambiguously a good thing uh, and uh, with uh, unbelievable implications for the future, and that is the successful uh, experiment in fusion energy that was conducted uh, at some point in the last month to six weeks or something like that, where I guess 287 lasers were uh, shot at a, at a uh we got more energy out of an effort to to do fusion than we than we than we put in uh and um this has been the holy grail of of the next generation of energy for 40 years and there have been hoaxes and fantasies about it uh just uh thinking about how uh in in, in back to the future uh, which was set in 2015. You remember the second Back to the Future? Like they, they, uh, Doc Brown's car is powered by a fusion generator. He just puts <clears throat> banana peels into it, and it makes the car go. Like this is that was made in you know I don't know 1987, something like that. So this has been on the minds of popular culture minds and scientists minds forever. And they and they they did it, and it's like it is a colossal breakthrough. Now people are saying, and I have no reason to disbelieve that they're right that this is 
the first step on an incredibly long road that we are decades away from any practical applications of this because the amount of energy that has to be thrown at something in order to create this, what was it, like one trillionth of a second or something uh, of of energy? It was some, un, like, in, um, um, but so they're saying it's going to take decades. Some part of me says these things never take de- like once they happen. I, I, you know, I like everybody. I guess we all read Thomas Kuhn's structure of scientific revolutions, and one of the things about scientific revolutions is they're always faster than paradigm shifts. Yes, <laughs> um, that that something that was a theoretical or 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 a pie in the sky idea that suddenly becomes practical that uh, human ingenuity and all of that ends up taking a radical course uh, of change. But um, you can't just deny that this is, you know, this is a moment that, you know, 200 years from now, when people write about the 21st century, that will be sort of like the the experiment that that uh, Paul Johnson writes about at the beginning of modern times, the, 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 the astronomical experiment that proved that Einstein's theory of relativity was correct uh, in 1919. Like, the only thing people are going to remember from 2022 is fusion. And by the way, there's another unambiguously good aspect of this. Great, which is that it happened in the U.S. It was it was a, it was an American breakthrough. It was the the Lawrence Liver, Livermore National Lab in California. Um, yeah, that's not an accident. Private right. private industry and semi-private research firms have been or research universities have been engaged in this project since the end of the Cold War when it, it was trying to in, they kind of internationalized it, which means nothing gets done. Um, so yeah, this experiment produced 700 times the power produced by the entire US electrical grid at any given moment, even though it was only a quarter of a second or whatever it was, femtosecond. Yeah. Uh, Megan McArdle had a fantastic piece on the implications of this sort of thing. Now, there's a lot of problems, as you say, a lot of problems with the power that it takes to go into it. You got to build these arrays. This is an experimental reactor. It's not a commercial reactor. So we got to invent all this stuff. And then what do you fuel it? You need tritium and tritium is, is produced by fusion reactions. So it's all very complicated. But she described, you know, the the arc of human history and the degree to which power forces us to economize that the availability of power and the fi- and financing power is the sort of thing that forces us to triage and make priorities and set priorities and that would go away it's it's akin to the discovery of hydrocarbons or that you can burn hydrocarbons and produce vastly more power than you ever could by human and animal power alone and the human experience just exploded over the course of a very short period within one person's lifetime you would see incredible technological innovations and change and that's what we would see with the advent of limitless power that is so cheap to produce, you can't even measure it. You can't even meter it. Literally free, abundant power for everyone across the planet Earth. It's unimaginable what that could produce. So good news, silver linings, green shoots in the midst of crushing morosity. We'll be back tomorrow for our final show of the year. Brave Christina Noam, John Bodhoritz, keep the candle burning.